Hello, everybody. Welcome to another Bald Guy podcast with your host, Jeff Brown, and our guest, Brian Eastman. Welcome, everybody. Today, we're going to be talking to my retirement plan expert, Brian Eastman. Welcome, Brian. Hi, Jeff. How are you today? It's a Wednesday in spring in San Diego. It's going to be 80 degrees. How bad could it get? You know, that's that's the good part about being in San Diego. I love that. Well, good, good. Well, good to chat as always. Um, what, 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 are we, what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about all kinds of retirement plans, but we're going to ask the differences and who's eligible and why you might want to stay away from one versus the other. So let's start off with what's a SEP IRA and how do they differ from other IRA plans? Well, you know, with, with most IRAs, you know, IRA stands for Individual Retirement Arrangement. So it's something that's set up by an individual. There's limited contributions, you know, in the neighborhood of five to $6,000, depending on age and, and, and account type. And it's an individual arrangement. A SEP is a Simplified Employer Pension is what it stands for, the SEP. And it's, a, it's an IRA, but kind of I like to describe it as with a rider that allows an employer to make a higher profit sharing contribution into the plan. So as an employer linked plan, it has much much higher contribution limits, potentially as high as $54,000 here in 2017. Those contributions are done on a profit sharing basis from the business. Uh, and there's two ways that we might run into folks who, who've got a SEP. They might work for a small company that has a SEP and be an employee, and then it's the employer's discretion, oh, we're going to do a 3% or a 5% or a 15% profit share and put some money in everybody's uh, plan and it'll be, you know, relative to, to your earnings. So somebody who's earning $50,000 will get X dollars and somebody who's earning $100,000 will get twice as much. But it's, it's got to be on the same percentage for, for everybody who's eligible to participate in the plan within the company. In some cases, we see people who have their, their own independent business. Uh, they might be an independent consultant or a real estate agent or something along those lines. And they've set up a, a SEP for their business as a way to uh, to make a higher contribution for themselves. And in that case, they then get to choose on a year-by-year -year basis uh, how aggressively they want to pursue uh, the contributions based on, on how well they did in, in that given year. And, of course, the, the contributions in, in these plans are, are tax-deferred, so you don't pay taxes on the way in. Uh, it'll grow tax-free over, over time, but then when you take distributions like a, a traditional tax-deferred IRA, you'll, you'll pay taxes on the back end. So that's, that's kind of the, the, the high-level uh, piece. We you know, talk a few more details. What else would you like to know about the SEP? I just wanted to know one other thing, uh, actually two other things. At any time, can you roll a SEP IRA into anything else? And number two, is there a Roth option inside of a SEP? There's not a Roth component. So what, what you would need to do is you would need to take funds out of a SEP, roll them over and, and do a conversion and place them in a Roth. And in, in many cases, somebody's going to have the flexibility to do that. Again, it'll kind of depend on are they the employer, do, do their employer set up the SEP that they're participating in. But even in, in mostly, you know, if I work for a little, you know, 20-person company and the, the boss has decided to set up a SEP, the underlying IRA itself is usually it's an individual account, and it's just the the fact that the employer is making that contribution. A lot of times, you know, that's also put together by a particular firm, and everybody has their account with that firm. But it's very possible to say, oh, I'd like you to make my contributions to this account I've established over here. So we have a lot of clients who might be working for an employer that's set up a SEP, and they're doing it with one of the mainstream, you know, we'll say Schwab Fidelity E-Trade type folks, 
and they've said, you know, actually, I want to have a, a self-directed account. I'm going to move my SEP over to this self-directed custodian, and, and can you make my contributions there? Or the contributions are made into that mainstream account, and the client can can move them. And there's generally not any restrictions on your ability to do that, even if you're still working with the company and still making contributions into the SEP. can vary a little bit you know, from plan to plan. Some of the brokerage firms try to lock you in a little bit or you know, at least might stonewall you in when you ask questions if you want to move just because they want to have that money and manage it. But with the SEP, you should have pretty good flexibility really at any time to move that. Uh, one of the concerns there becomes multiple plans and what you're doing just impacts the contribution side. If, if you had a, a SEP and you took it out and converted it and rolled it into a Roth, well, great, you've still got that SEP. You can still make the, the SEP contributions. A Roth is independent of a SEP, and independently, if you were eligible by, based on income to make Roth contributions, you could do so. So you have a SEP. Is there any income restrictions to giving to your SEP? No, no, but it's purely done on a profit-sharing basis from, from the business. So I guess there's not, a, there's not an income cap at which you can no longer contribute. There's an income requirement in that the contributions are done on a profit-sharing basis. And, sure. and it's one of, one of two formulas. If somebody's just in a sole proprietor or a pass-through type taxation situation, you know, the, they might be an LLC but, but not filing a, a W-2, uh, it's 20% of the net business earnings that is the maximum that can be contributed. You have to make just a little over a quarter million dollars to be able to max out the plan at $54,000. Uh, so somebody who's making you know eighty or a hundred, they're not going to get to the the plan maximum. So there's a limitation in that sense. But unlike a Roth or unlike a traditional IRA, when you're also in a 401k, there's no top level income at which you're ineligible to make contributions in the SEP because of that the fact that it's profit sharing. So true or false? I make five hundred thousand dollars a year. I max it out at this year's fifty four thousand cap. Mm -hmm. I and uh, two years from now. I've got 150 something thousand dollars plus the yield inside that SEP. I have a self-directed pre-tax IRA also. I can roll that entire balance or any part of that balance into that self-directed IRA. Correct. You could either make the SEP self-directed if you have the control over doing that or you could build the SEP within a, a mainstream, you know, institution and at any time move any portion of it over to that other traditional IRA that would be uh, self-directed. Now, the only difference is because I make $500,000 a year, I'm still allowed to move any kind of capital I want out of the SEP IRA into my self-directed IRA, whether it's pre-tax or Roth, but I am barred from making normal contributions to it because I make too much money. On a Roth or a traditional, yeah. You, well, you could make contributions to a traditional, but they wouldn't be deductible, and that creates sort of an, uh, an accounting nightmare to have both non-deductible and deductible contributions in there. But generally, it's not beneficial to do that. But, yeah, on the Roth, you, there's a phase out at which you're not even eligible to make contributions, and the numbers vary based on whether you're you know, single or married, filing jointly or, or whatnot. Now, there is, though, even on a self-directed Roth IRA, there is a – uh, an income limitation to when you can contribute. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. The self-directed component doesn't change the back-end IRA rules as far as contributions or distributions or rollovers. You know, all of that stays the same as any other IRA. It's just the self-directed plan is configured so that it can invest differently. Okay. Now let's move on. Let's talk about defined benefit plans because I have some people I've talked to and, and some clients who've had it. And my history with them is that 
they're very restrictive and they just don't allow certain investments. Some of them have complete freedom and they can do whatever they want in them. Mm -hmm. But I don't like them because they're very inflexible, number one, and they just don't have a Roth component. How does it overall differ from an IRA or a solo 401k? Mm -hmm. Sure, sure. Well, when we talk about a defined benefit plan, it's a different category of retirement plan. The, the goal is in retirement, X dollars is going to be available each year. It's a classic pension is what it is. You, you get X dollars when you retire, and, and that's the goal. So it's set up that way. There's actuarial calculations that have to be done every year, depending on how the investments have been performing. Uh, from year to year, you might have to raise uh, the contributions that you make into the plan. It's got hugely generous contribution limits. That's the one really nice thing about it, a defined benefit plan for somebody who's a very, very high earner. But it, it, it is it is complex to administer, and it's based on that formula of here's the end outcome. We're going to produce X income for X years. Uh, and that's what creates a lot of the administrative complexity and expense in managing those plans, as well as a lot of the, the restrictions you talk about. A defined benefit plan, like, like any of these retirement plans, can be delivered in two formats. It can be done in sort of a cookie-cutter, you know, brokerage format where, okay, that's the investments that the plan is able to make, and that, that simplifies certain parts of the administration. Or it can be configured to be self-directed, and, and a portion of a defined benefit plan can be invested in alternative assets such as, as notes uh, or, or things of that nature. But that has to be incorporated in the plan design and set up that way from, from the get-go. I mean, I guess a plan could be amended to add that. Uh, and in that respect, from, from an investment perspective, from a transactional perspective, it's going to work much like the very simple and, and easy-to-use solo 401k. The difference is that because of the defined outcome, there's limitations on how what percentage of the plan can be placed in what are deemed to be non-traditional assets. Uh, there's additional bonding and reporting that's required when a plan has investments uh, in, those, in those assets, especially if, if there's multiple participants in the plan and not just a, a single practitioner. Uh, so it's, it's the complexity and the restrictions it brings on, on the administrative side that make it a little bit of a challenge. The other challenge is it's, it's hard to get money out. We just we're talking about the SAP. And you can take advantage of the high contributions, but you then have freedom to move the funds and put them in different places, either self-direct within a SEP or take money out of the SEP and move it to a separate self-directed plan, whichever makes the most sense in, in someone's scenario. In the defined benefit plan, it's, it's not so simple. It, it's got to stay in the plan. It, you know, you've got to be maintaining the, the, the capital and, and the return on investment from that capital to meet that defined goal. Uh, of the outcome on the inside. So if you wanted to take money out, you're going to have to put other monies in or, or shift the goals or go through a plan amendment. And it, it, that's, again, that inflexibility that you were talking about. So there's a, a very limited set of people who, who can benefit from a defined benefit plan. Uh, we most frequently see people who have you know, been very high earners and have run a defined benefit plan for, for many years that they're getting to sort of the wind down part of their career and they're like, okay, i got to get rid of this thing. It's a nightmare and uh, you know, I took advantage of it and put a lot of money in it, but now I want to shut it down and roll it to an IRA. And that, that's more normally where we interface with, with the defined benefit plans. Well, I'll, I'll close the discussion on defined benefit plans, Brian, with this observation. I think they're many times a good news, bad news joke. The good news is you can end up with a ton of money, often requiring two commas. The bad news is when you retire, you are naked tax shelter-wise most of the time. 
then you are paying massive taxes because it doesn't have a Roth component. Yeah, no, that's absolutely the case. You, you can you can squirrel away a lot, but it's you know it, it's that yeah it's that good news bad news yeah it, it's good to be making a lot of money you know when you're in your retirement years, but it is going to come with a tax bill, and, and there's not a lot of ways to take that then and, and and you know find a home for it that shelters it you know so they're they're what's challenging. The, what's the down and dirty um, summary, Brian of Who's eligible for defined benefit plans and solo 401ks? So pretty much any business can set up a uh, defined benefit plan. The eligibility is you have a business that's producing income, and it could be a corporation. It could be a sole proprietorship. Now, the benefit is going to be somebody who's who's really making significant income. I'd say you know at least half a million dollars a year is where you know it starts making sense to look at the defined benefit plan and all the complexities it's going to bring. So you know, but it could be a sole practitioner. It could be somebody who's got an office with the team, but the plan benefits are going to have to be offered to everybody who who qualifies by being a full time employee within the company that's that's setting up the plan. So you know. The defined benefit plan is more in the category of a, of a full-blown, what we call ERISA 401k that you would see at, you know, a large employer. The solo 401k, which, you know, I know, I know we talked about a little bit last time we spoke, is a simplified version of an employer plan that's designed for owner-only businesses. So there's, again, some kind of self-employment activity, some business that's, you know, either a corporation pro- providing W-2 wages to the owner or a, a pass-through like a sole proprietorship or an LLC that, that's, that's flowing through to a Schedule C. So there's the, the income stream. There's a lack of non-owner employees. And because plan benefits don't have to then be provided to other third parties, the administration on the plan is greatly simplified, and that's what makes those such a fantastic self-directed retirement plan. Okay. Lastly, and this is the question that is really hard to answer. I know that we're going to try to include a chart that shows what can be rolled over into what and when. You know, solos into IRAs, IRAs into this, different kind of IRAs. What can be rolled over to what in just an outline form, if you would? Right, right. Well, the the, the simple description is is that you have like tax treatment on either side. So there's there's two flavors of tax treatment. There's uh, tax deferred money, so it was put in pre-tax. It, the tax there's no taxes as it has earnings, and then it's taxed at the end when you take it out in distributions. And that would include traditional or rollover IRAs. Most 400 series plans with an employer like a 401 or a 403 or a 457 or something like that, uh, a SEP IRA. Uh, there's another sort of employer-linked IRA, what's called a simple IRA with some higher contribution limits. Those are all tax-deferred, and for the most part, they can be moved back and forth between each other. There's some limitations, like with the simple IRA I mentioned, it has to be in place for two years before you can move money, but after that point, monies can be moved. There can be restrictions on getting money out of a plan if it's, say, a 400 series plan like a 401 that's with a current employer. Oftentimes, it's going to be trapped in that employer plan. Even though the monies are eligible to be moved, it would require somebody either terminating employment with the business that's sponsoring the plan or after they've reached age 59 and a half, normal retirement age, they can then still continue to work, still continue to participate in their employer's 401k, but take chunks of it out and move them to a different plan of their choosing. So most of the tax-deferred money is pretty fluid. You can't, without special steps, go from a tax-deferred plan to a Roth plan. And, of course, there's Roth components both in, say, a 401k uh, and and a separate distinct Roth IRA. You can 
if funds are accessible in a tax-deferred plan, they're accessible to be transferred, they can be rolled over to a Roth IRA and converted, and there's a tax event for doing so. The reverse isn't really possible. We can't take an existing Roth IRA, for example, and roll that into a 401k-based plan. There's it's sort of an administrative oversight, and, and we keep hearing mutterings that Congress will fix that at some point, but, you know, Congress gets along and gets down and gets work done so often that we, we won't be holding our breath for that to happen. But eventually, it probably will. But for now, we, we can't move Roth IRA money into uh, a 401k. But, yeah, like I said, there's a, a real handy chart that the IRS puts together. Uh, I'll share that with you, and you can put it on the um, the link with this uh, this call. Appreciate it very much, boy. As usual, Brian, you've been just a font of seriously solid information. Thanks. Glad to be able to help. Always enjoy the conversation, Jeff. Listeners, thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Bald Guy Podcast with Jeff Brown and our guest, Brian Eastman.